0: Welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers podcast. Today we have, she's by far one of the best Twitter followers. Are, are you, first of all, I got to say, are, you still, are you still on the Twitter? We'll yes,
1: I'm on Twitter and I'm on, uh, I'm on Blue Sky. Oh, I'm, I'm on, on all on. the things.
0: You're on all the things. But Molly, Instagram. Molly John Fast. How are you doing today? And let's talk about all these books you have behind you. Did you read
1: all of them? <laughs> no, I mean, some of them I've read. They're, I'm just hoping they're, they're precariously placed behind me. I'm hoping they don't crush me to death. That's well, my goal for today.
0: Well, you got to start out with simple <laughs> and then we can call that a victory if you make it. Exactly. From the crush.
1: exactly.
0: So my show is unique because we ask everybody the same question because people, when they see you, they just feel like you popped up out of thin air. Right. They never know how you ended up where you end up. So we ask our guests to walk us through the arc of their career. So talk about why you've chosen this career. Um, in journalism, your various career stops, and why a national politics beat?
1: It's a good question. I actually have a really interesting and circuitous path to it, too, because you'll remember I am incredibly old. I'm probably older than you are, which makes me mad. I'm 44, and why, I am.
0: You are older than, uh, than yeah,
1: I am. Yeah, because you're in your 30s, right? I'm 38, yes, ma'am. Yeah, enjoy it, enjoy
0: <laughs> uh, I'm in these weird years, though, 38 and 39. They're like, what you want to do for your birthday? Nothing. <laughs> go take a nap it's like i don't know <laughs>
1: um so uh i uh i i started writing as a teenager i s- started writing novels i came from a family where people wrote these political novels which was a thing that people don't really do anymore my grandfather was this writer called howard fast who was uh very involved in the uh labor unions he was very involved in uh, he went to jail for the House on non-American activities for not naming names. he was um, extremely involved in desegregation. he was a close personal friend of Paul Robeson uh and they did were both a part of the Peekskill riots really interesting time. my grandfather went to jail he was blacklisted. Uh, he wrote Spartacus in April morning and a lot of important books that were largely political. Uh, very didactic and novels. And then my mother, too, actually wrote novels that were political novels, uh, Fear of Flying being the most famous. And so I always thought I would write political novels. And what it what happened is that political novels don't really exist anymore. And that's not really a genre that people engage in. Uh, they don't engage in politics through novels. And so... Um, I wrote some novels and then I got more into political writing and uh, that was how I got to where I am. And, uh, you know, what I think is useful for me is that I am really interested in prose in a way that other political journalists, I mean, I'm on the opinion side, so obviously I'm not out there. I mean, I do a little bit of reporting, but I'm not out there, you know, reporting ad stories in front of a courthouse or something, but I am really interested in the way things read and the prose and, uh, you know, the lyrical nature of language in a way that I think a lot of political writers are not. Um, And so that is very helpful. And one of the things that Twitter did for me, and I love Twitter and I'm a big fan and I'm sad to see Elon Musk completely kill it, uh, though glad to see him squander. Uh, an amount of some part of his enormous fortune because he really could have just, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, uh, but I, uh, you know, you get very good at language when you are uh, kept in a very small box with the number of words you can use. And so that has definitely helped my writing in a certain way that's pretty interesting.
0: How judgmental is your mother of your writing?
1: she's not well she has dementia now so she's not so judgmental she actually was not that judgmental my grandfather died when i was 22 and he was not so you know they you know they were both pretty narcissistic so they weren't so interested in other people's writing <laughs> as it related to if it didn't relate to them
0: that's it okay very good honest answer <laughs> not, not where i thought we were going but cool <laughs> Um uh, so let's hop let's hop right into it. Let's talk about Diane Feinstein. Um you've been the best writer on her and what's going on with her. Oh, so what's you. happening? Why isn't she in the Senate casting votes and doing what the people of California elected her to do?
1: I mean, this is the Diane Feinstein situation is baffling to me. She's 89 years old. She has no plans to return, zero, right? We don't even know if she's the one drafting these memos about her returning, right? She's in California. She has um, shingles. They have for the last decade, people, friendly people like Jane Mayer, have written about how Dianne Feinstein is suffering from some kind of cognitive decline. Okay, decades this is a very blue state, a very enormous state. It's the fifth largest economy in the world. You know, should it be represented by one senator? Absolutely not. Excuse my French. I'm not supposed to curse, I'm sure. But anyway, no, I won't we curse. Talk, we talk all <laughs> but, the
0: time. You're fine but,
1: on the <laughs> OK, good. But I mean, so should she? Absolutely not. I mean, the whole the whole thinking behind it is really it, it's just shocking in a way. Um, what needs to happen is that and and I and I want to add we have a precedent for this right we have seen what happens when people hold on too long because of Ruth Bader Ginsburg we saw what happened right i big fan of ruth bader ginsburg i i don't know if you saw this uh scholarly paper yesterday that came out if she had resigned during the obama administration the court would be a liberal court by 2026 because she didn't, the court will be a conservative court until 2064, okay? We will, about, spoiler, yeah, that's a, there's a, long, a long, time long time to do a, a, lot, a, of, a yeah. lot of damage. This episode is brought to you by cars.com.
2: When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit Um.
1: So I think that you you really do see how high stakes this is. Somebody needs to have a hard conversation with her and be like, this is it. And you know, she has a daughter who is a lawyer. I had a very hard conversation with my mom when she had dementia and I said like, this is it, this is what we have to do. And so the people, and I'm not saying Diane Feinstein has dementia, but I am saying, She's holding one of the most important seats. And and I want to say, like, she's not on the Judiciary Committee. So right now they're okay, but they're going to get stuck in a a month or two and they're going to have a backstop. Uh, Lindsey Graham, not the most trustworthy, but an old school senator, has said that if she steps down, they will allow that seat on the judiciary to be filled. They will not allow a temporary fill in, which, again, I'm not clear to me why they would allow a temporary fill and there's no precedent for that. So, uh, you know, she needs to step down. Democrats need to be united. This needs to end. And then we need to go for a new, uh, you know, they need to appoint a senator. And by the way, the dumbest thing I've heard is that she shouldn't step down because uh, Gavin, Gavin Newsom won't be able to you know, he shouldn't put his finger on the scale and he shouldn't put his finger on the scale. He should put in that place a black woman, which by the way, will then be the third black woman senator ever, which if that doesn't make you enraged, I don't know what does, right? I mean, that's crazy that that number is so low, but you'll put, you know, uh, you put in a black woman senator who is not in the primary, right? But who is from the great state of California And and then you see what happens with the primary. I mean, that you don't put your finger on the scale. You just put in a replacement for now.
0: She's been on a decline for some time. It's been clear. Why was she reelected? It seemed to me in a blue state like California with lots of potential replacement. Why wasn't there a stronger hand and probably having that conversation sooner about forcing her not to run?
1: Why? Why did New York? Why did the state of New York, where I live, cause Democrats to lose the House? Why? Because when you have a state like New York or California, where the party is not divided, where Democrats have been not keeping themselves in check, you you see these huge mistakes. I mean, a, a great example is you know the New York City mayoralship, we have yet to have a mayor that anyone likes, and it's been ten million years. I mean, and nobody votes
0: though, nobody votes in the in the president. I
1: vote. We all I mean the problem is the problem is I think the last couple of times there's been like a real vote split. Uh but yeah, I mean you know, we get these guys who are just you know, I mean, our mayor now doesn't even live in New York.
0: He's terrible. I don't do a whole other <laughs> show on how terrible Eric Adams
1: is.
0: <laughs> where are Nancy Pelosi and other notable California Democrats and all of this?
1: Um I, Nancy Pelosi says it's sexist to call an 89 year old Dianne Feinstein to resign. As a feminist, I am telling you, it is not sexist. It may be ageist, but reality is like any other. I mean, what it does is it it undermines the Democratic Party because it makes them look weak, right? Here is an opportunity to uh, be like Republicans in a way that is neither sleazy Nor illegal, but in fact, is just, you know, we are in a judicial emergency, right? Rude, yeah. And uh, they can't pull a trigger.
0: You say you kept, this is the second time you mentioned the judiciary. Can you talk about the substantive reasons why her not being present is directly affecting us appointing Biden judicial nominees?
1: So for now, it's sort of okay. There's enough of a backlog, but eventually it's tied now. So you're not going to be able to. To to get those nominees, the sort the nominees in, and you're gonna have you're gonna be at the mercy of Republicans who, as you may know, are are not. Uh, <laughs> I want to say, they're not. Uh, they're not the most sort of conciliatory right now. I think that's a fair word. But it, it, you know, I mean, it shouldn't be this way. I mean, there's no reason. This is a problem created completely of Dianne Feinstein's making. And I would say, like being a public servant, your job is to serve the public, right? Not to keep the seat for yourself if you're for when you're feeling better. And that's it. I mean, this is not the whole idea that somehow she, you know, we should spare her feelings. one of the politicians who's been really good on this is Ro Khanna, you know, who said just, you know, this is ridiculous. And and I think that Gavin Newsom, you know, the American people, by the way, your listeners right now, can contact Gavin Newsom. I mean, these people can, need to be told that it's not up to them, right? It is up to the voters, right? They serve the public. These are public servants. And, and you know, voters have this, if they want to contact their electeds, they can force them to do stuff. I mean, if anything, we've seen this with the Biden administration again and again, and even with the Trump administration.
0: That's true. Speaking of ageism or age, and <laughs> The Biden yeah. administration. That's a natural segue. So Biden's running again. Not a surprise to anyone, but I am curious as to what type of campaign can we expect from someone who is eighty two years old, I believe.
1: I think he's eight. I think he's eighty right now.
0: He's eighty now. I guess it'll be eighty two at the next election.
1: Right. And uh and um look, I you know, this is the thing with Biden's age. If he's running against putting fingers, you'll remember putting fingers, Ron DeSantis. If he's running against putting fingers, Biden's age could really be an issue. But if he's running against a diminished huffing and puffing orange 78 year old who is two years younger than him and bragging about how he did on his dementia test. Then I think it's not going to be a problem for Biden. That's my real feeling. And and I and I wanna add, and again, like I Biden and I politically do not align on many issues. I <laughs> have I've counted him out before, right? But I wrote a piece that Biden should drop out during the primaries. Okay. Well before, after he lost those two first races, Iowa and New Hampshire. And I'm gonna tell you, uh, you cannot count this guy out at all. You cannot count him out. He has one and one and one again. And like, you know, I think the American people like an old white guy. And I think, you know, he reads like, you know, your old white guy, grandpa. And and I just think to like take him out now when there's no evidence that, you know, that I mean, I think this age conversation is largely a Washington conversation.
0: Mm. Well, he I mean, this. One of the things I point out to people when they're talking about this is that this race is going to be vastly different than 2020 because COVID, he didn't have to campaign. I mean, will will he be able and will he have to go out and do the big rallies or can he just campaign from Washington, D.C.?
1: I don't know that he needs to do big rallies, but I do think uh, he will need to campaign. And you know what, though? This is the thing again. And I don't mean to be I, I really did write a piece in The Washington Post. They've got a huge amount of coverage and got everyone very mad at me about how she dropped out. So I'm not, I'm not like his biggest fan, but I think this man can surprise you and he will. And, you know, he's really good. He was really good at the State of the Union, really, really good. And he was really good, you know, every time at, at the correspondence dinner, you know, everyone was so anxious. It's so late. It's too late for him. He was great. He went in there and he killed. Okay. So, I think he can do rallies. I mean, I don't think Democrats those rallies. I mean, that's really like a Trump Grateful Dead weirdness. I, I don't know that Democrats need a rally, but you know, he'll he's a great retail politician, and uh, and I think that the fact that they're careful is smart yeah. and good.
0: Um, you've written about uh, Kamala Harris as well, Vice President Harris, and everyone here knows I'm a vocal supporter of the vice president. How was the last year or so gone for her? I feel like it's been a somewhat of a shift. And how do you think they maximize her capabilities on the campaign trail or do they venture?
1: So, I mean, again, the, you ha- you cannot talk about the vice president without talking about the implied racism and sexism that follow her everywhere. I mean, this woman has, I, I can't. I mean, I just feel like you see this everywhere. Everywhere she is covered, she is given like a significantly harder time. And she is, you know, they, and, and, and I want to say people don't even see they're doing it. I well, mean, I remember, you know, when I interviewed her, a famous Democratic person who was very involved in Hillary's campaign said to me, you know, I just don't like her. And I said, well, why don't you like her? Well, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it, but I don't like her. You don't. You know why you don't like her? You know what you can't put your finger on? Let me exactly. let me tell you what you can't. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, you see with her what Black women must go through. I mean, just continuously, right? It's just this inability to see her for who she is. And this incredible, you know, just this sort of obsession with, you know, any time. I mean, like it's like the copper pot story. Remember when she first became vice president, she went to Paris. She was in Paris for a work trip. She bought some copper pots. I mean, I'm sorry, but like, you know, and 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 the Republican oppo shop called the Washington Free Beacon wrote a big piece about how here she was buying copper pots. Isn't she, you know, Isn't this really, she's obviously not a serious person because she's buying Copper Pots. Okay. I mean, like, and that, and I feel like that was a great, you know, they went for her for the Copper Pots. You know, meanwhile, I I mean, I, I just, it's such a, It's just the way in which the mainstream media undermines black women again and again and again. So uh, I've been a big fan of hers. She's worked tirelessly. She's traveled, she's gone places. Again, the vice presidency is a terrible job, as we all know, because we've all seen Veep. You know, if you're doing too well, everyone's mad at you because you're undermining the big guy. If you're not doing enough, everyone's mad at you because it's an impossible job.
0: That's certainly the case. You've written, I got just a couple more questions before I I let you go, but you've written a lot um, about Trump and Trumpism. Is there any chance that any other Republican beats Donald Trump? I don't think so because of the way their primaries are set up, but.
1: I mean, the problem is this, right? They don't see anything wrong. I mean, I actually. All right. So I, I have this argument all the time with the bulwark people because they think Ron DeSantis is less scary than Trump. I actually believe that Ron DeSantis is 10 times scarier than Trump because he is that kind of anti-democratic zealot, but he's very smart and he could really sink the country. So I personally am relieved by a Trump nomination compared to a DeSantis nomination, because I think that with Trump, people know the guy's a criminal. Now, that said, his base is irretractable. They love him and they will happily go along with anything he does. The hope is that they can't juice the turnout so much that they win the Electoral College. He'll never win the popular vote, but I'm certainly worried about him winning the Electoral College.
0: Which one's better, Biden, Trump or Biden, DeSantis? Biden, Trump. I think so. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, DeSantis, DeSantis is a terrible retail politician and you see him you know his face looking like a ferret. You know, just and miserable. <laughs> he's five nine, but I think with the lips, he's, he's a little, little taller. Bitty, they're
0: little bitty heels, I know. <laughs> Molly Jung, fast has been a pleasure. Thank you for joining the show. How can people keep follow you online and keep up with your reporting and read them all the I, great things you write?
1: Yeah, they can subscribe to Fast Politics podcast, which is my podcast, and they can read me at Vanity Fair.
0: All right. Vanity Fair. That's famous. I'm waiting on my sit down for Vanity Fair in <laughs> one day. Thank you, Molly. Have a great day.
1: Thanks, Bukari.